Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Wisdom Through Bitcoin podcast. I'm your host, Chris Bobe. I have a very special guest here with me today. I'm really super excited to talk to Tyler Campbell. He is an expert on hardware devices and bringing your Bitcoin into self-custody. He is a member of the Unchained Capital team down team down there in Austin, Texas, and they're doing incredible work helping people become more self-sovereign and taking their own financial futures into their own custody. Tyler, how you doing, man? Thanks for coming on the show. I'm doing fantastic. It's a Friday. I'm helping people set up uh, their own keys, taking control of their own Bitcoin, and I get to to go on your podcast. So it's a, it's going pretty great for me right now, i got to say. Great, great. Hey, just to to get us started here, give us a little mm-hmm. bit of a background on uh, your experience at Unchained and how you got into Bitcoin. Yeah, for sure. So right now, my my current role is uh, I'm a VP of Concierge at Unchained Capital. So I do run our Concierge team. Um, what we focus on is helping people uh, take their Bitcoin that they may be bought on exchanges, and we help them to secure it with their own keys so they can then uh, use maybe our Bitcoin native financial services. Um, but at a minimum, you know, they know they have the absolute best security for their Bitcoin where they own their Bitcoin. And so that's what I am passionate about. That's what I do on a day to day basis. Now, my road to get here, though, um, so it's kind of wild how it all started. I reflected on it uh, quite a bit, uh, but I did. So I'm not from Austin, Texas, although that's where I live currently. I'm from the Midwest. So I did go to school, the college up in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And I graduated from school. I was looking for, and I with a, an economics degree, it was kind of my formal background. So this traditional economics, uh, Keynesian economics was was quite heavily taught, um, I'm sure everywhere, but, but especially in, in Minnesota. And out of school, I wanted to work in technology. So lo and behold, uh, the really you know popular and hot technology um, in the mid 2010s was uh, blockchain technology. So uh, I first started as an implementation consultant um, out of college. I worked as an implementation consultant for a software company that was doing a private blockchains, believe it or not. So was not in the Bitcoin world yet. I was kind of, you know, uh, enamored with the technology of it all. And so I was working for um, good people, you know, nice company with good goals, um, but was really not, you know, purely into Bitcoin at that time. And it was around that time that there was the 2017 uh, bull run and quote unquote cryptocurrency. Everything was going up. And so like uh, like a lot of people, I had disposable income for me for the first time in my life because I was now out of school and I decided to buy some some cryptocurrencies with, um, you know, with some of my savings. And that bull market then, you know, came to kind of an end and everything, you know, ended up going down and crashing. And uh, for some reason, and this is where I try to rack my brain to figure out why, but for some reason... Um, I sold everything but my Bitcoin. I'm like, ah, Bitcoin is like, maybe it's sentimental. It's the reason we're all here, yada, yada, yada. I kept my Bitcoin uh, on the exchange. So the exchange kept my Bitcoin, uh, but I never sold it. And as 2018 happened, we drift into 2019. um, You know, Bitcoin doesn't die. It doesn't go to zero. It's not, uh, there's not founders getting arrested. There's there's no hacks of the protocol happening. Um, Bitcoin's just kind of being Bitcoin. And so I started to take a deeper look at it. I really found my way digging through podcasts and books, uh, the Bitcoin standard. Uh, There was great early on podcast. I was like listening to Tales from the Crypt incredibly early on. And 
it was around that time where I was like, you know what, I need to take this more seriously. And through learning the technicals of Bitcoin, through doing that, I ended up reevaluating that economics that I learned in college. And I started thinking, well, you know, is it appropriate for uh, the money printer to 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 exist at the whims of um, of a few individuals? Uh, is that is that correct? Are there other ways that, that we can design economies and what really is money? And you go through this entire transformation. And on the other side of that, um, I really found myself kind of adjusting all my priors on a lot of things that I had been taught uh, in the past. So ended up leaving my private blockchain software job um, and was focused on learning more about Bitcoin. Uh, I wanted to write a book on Bitcoin, uh, just didn't know what yet. I was kind of just, you know, really, really into it. And a friend of mine from Minneapolis, um, who now works at Unchained with me, Cam Stromey on our client solutions team, uh, he had just joined Unchained. I had been going to the Minneapolis Bitcoin meetup for a while. And, you know, there was an opening at Unchained for a technical director. And he reached out to me and, you know, one, uh, one thing led to another. And now I'm down here in Austin. But uh, it was a period of relearning a lot of things that I had thought I knew, knew about our economy, about how money works, about how savings works. Um, and through relearning all of that and digesting a bunch of educational materials, I kind of found my way to now wanting to spread the word and help other individuals do the same. Fantastic. Now, I know Unchained Capital, one of their um, claims to fame is their IRA um, product. Mm -hmm. Uh, for bringing your traditional IRA products in over into Bitcoin and then securing them under the umbrella of that tax shelter. Mm -hmm. When you're dealing with customers, what would you say the average age of the Unchained Capital customer is? And are you noticing that age move up or down over time? Yeah, that, that's a really fantastic question. And my, you know, our concierge onboarding team at Unchained, we do onboard individuals to personal vaults for their personal Bitcoin, but also to IRA vaults. Um, in that, you know, using that IRA product that you just just highlighted. And anecdotally, you know, working with concierge onboarding clients, because you know, if you're a technical Bitcoiner, you don't have to get on the phone with one of our team members for an hour. You can just sign up for an Unchained vault and build it yourself using your own hardware wallets. But a lot of folks do like that concierge process where they talk to us one-on-one. -on -one. And just anecdotally, um, you know, IRA and personal, will include personal Bitcoin uh, vaults in that mix. You know, it does not skew uh, younger by any means. I would say there's probably a bell curve with a bulk of our clients being around that 40s, 50s, uh, early 60s age. Um, but then there's obviously, you know, other ends of that curve. I've worked with individuals um, who are, you know, just out of high school and they're maybe going through college, but they have some Bitcoin savings. I've also worked with individuals uh, into their 80s and 90s who have Bitcoin for you know, however they got into Bitcoin. Maybe they had a grandson or a niece or a nephew get them into Bitcoin and they want to secure it better um, and pass it on to their to their loved ones. So it's it's really all ends of the spectrum. But again, that bell curve, the middle of that of that uh, bell curve, probably being around the 40s, 50s and 60s age range. Okay. Awesome. And, you know, one of the other things that I've noticed when I'm talking to people who are a little bit later in life, because again, the point of this show, it's educational for everybody, but it does kind of tailor itself to people who are a little bit closer to retirement, people who are looking to see if they're, um, if, if the financial nest eggs that they put together are going to be sufficient to hold them through retirement without having to work uh, into their 70s or even sometimes even early 80s to yeah. keep that same lifestyle that they have. One of the things that Unchained Capital really likes to um, promote is the idea of multiple multiple signature devices 
and not keeping all of your eggs in one basket per se, because there's a lot of apprehension from people out there that think, you know, what if I don't trust myself? What if I lose my keys? What if I lose my device? Is my savings completely gone? So what's the solution that Unchained Capital has to answer that question? Yeah. Um, you know, when it comes to Bitcoin, uh, the way that Bitcoin is secured and kind of where Bitcoin lives, we can talk about this for a second. You know, when there is this terminology out there, hardware wallets or just the concept of a digital wallet in general, you know, there are hardware wallets, um, which are little devices. They're little kind of supercomputers that are built for with a specific purpose, and that's to help secure your private key. Um, but these devices just secure your key. They don't store any Bitcoin. It's not like Bitcoin is in a hardware wallet. All Bitcoin, whether that's Bitcoin that you buy on Coinbase, whether that's Bitcoin that you know your friend secures with their hardware wallet, all Bitcoin live in Bitcoin addresses that are you know searchable on the blockchain. What you really want to be asking yourself is, do you hold the keys to those addresses? If you needed to move that Bitcoin out of a particular address at any point in time, at you know whenever you want, it could be 3 a.m. on a Sunday, could you do that? Um, and do you have the sole power and you're not going to rely on some website or some exchange uh, to do that for you, right? If you're using Coinbase and their website goes down, can you move your Bitcoin? The answer is no. So when you hold your own keys, when you own your Bitcoin and you can control Bitcoin going in and out of Bitcoin addresses, that's where the power of self-custody shines. When you know that you're not going to be relying on a third party for the safety and security of your portion of that 21 million Bitcoin. And so at Unchained, we like to think about it as, hey, our primary goal, we wanna get rid of all of your single points of failure. You know, We're not gonna be storing your Bitcoin. We're gonna help you secure your Bitcoin and we're gonna do it collaboratively. We're gonna do it in a way that you, know, you don't have to trust us to be around. If we, God forbid, we go out of business or something happens to us, you still hold the keys to your Bitcoin and you, we're going to teach you, you know, how to do that. Um, and I think at the corners, like the cornerstone of it all, what it's all built on is this foundation. And you hinted at it a little bit. Uh, it's, a, it's a technology, uh, it's a security mechanism called multi-sig, Bitcoin multi-sig security. And now Bitcoin multi-sig, we'll talk about what that means. I know there's a lot of terminology in play and a lot of it gets kind of intimidating at the start. But what multi-sig is, imagine that there's a treasure chest. If you wanted to open up that treasure chest, one key isn't going to do it. Imagine this treasure chest has three key slots. And in order to open up this treasure chest, you need two keys out of your set of three. So that's what we're doing for Bitcoin security. And multi-sig, the technology, not something that Unchained invented. We didn't come up with it. We didn't, you know, we don't have a patent on it or anything. Multi-sig is just a part of the Bitcoin protocol. And we're just leveraging that, telling people out there saying, hey, you know, you can secure your Bitcoin in a way where you have no single points of failure. And so what we do for our clients is we help them build that digital treasure chest for their Bitcoin. We hold the key at Unchained and then our clients hold the other two keys. And those keys are set up from those hardware wallets. And we help our clients on concierge onboardings set up these hardware wallets write down their seed phrases, their sets of words that they have to keep physically secure and never put online at all. We go through all of these security procedures and we really go step by step to help somebody go from you know, zero keys being held 
to having a full multi-sig vault, which is the name of our product, a multi-sig vaulted unchained. We even help them move Bitcoin from an exchange into their vault. And we kind of see how the entire process works. And I think in that process of going through a concierge onboarding, uh, there's a lot of questions that are answered throughout that process, which you can actually dig in a little bit and get your hands dirty with the material. I think it does help to bring things uh, into the light, helps to clarify a lot of concepts that in Bitcoin, as we know, Chris, are just abstract in nature. Um, and so really playing with this stuff, you know, getting it in front of you and actually plugging a hardware wallet into your computer, you know, writing down seed phrase words when you actually build it and see how it works. Um, we like to say that we're onboarding our clients to Bitcoin and not just Unchained. We're just teaching them how Bitcoin works. Now, that's a good point right there. And it's a good segue into another common thing that I, I, I hear is, you know, what happens if Unchained were to go out of business? Are uh, mm -hmm. is my Bitcoin still secure? And I think that you did a good job of answering that with the multi-sig functionality of it, of having three of, you know, needing two of three keys or three of five or however many people set it up. So Unchained will hold one set and the customer will have two other sets that they can either do uh, keep themselves or provide one to themselves or one to their family members uh, in case something catastrophic happens to them. What's kind of the chain of custody that uh, Unchained Capital provides to customers in uh, kind of family legacy as uh, re revolving around, um, what's the word I'm looking for? If someone were to pass away and mm. then how, how would the family members be able to get access to that? Yeah. So a couple of things there, kind of going back to um, what you, the first part of, of what you were just speaking to, um, you know, our, our unchained vaults, uh, our personal vaults are two of three, meaning you need two keys out of a total set of three. Um, and it's probably on everybody's minds, right? Especially coming out of the last, you know, I want to say six months or a year, like what happens if unchained goes down, right? We see all these uh, industry participants go down. Um, what happens if unchained something were to happen to us? Well, you know, holding the keys to your own Bitcoin, there is when you build that treasure chest, what you also get is basically what I like to refer to as the blueprints to that treasure chest. It's called a, a configuration file. And it's basically a file that you can keep. Uh, you can download it. You can keep it secured in a password manager in the cloud. It's just a file that helps you know that, hey, if something happens to Unchained, you can take that backup file to your vault, and go take it to another Bitcoin multi-sig software like Sparrow Wallet or Caravan. There's a couple of them out there and you could go rebuild your vault somewhere else. You can use your two keys over there and you don't need to rely on Unchained. So uh, I know, again, there's a lot of terminology and there's a lot kind of in play there, but the point is we try to educate every step of the way. Our blog has awesome content about how to use these backup files, right? We always wanna be thinking about no single points of failure, how are we a single point of failure at Unchained? And so we try to address that um, by letting our clients know that they do have these alternative options. Now, the second part of your question is really around inheritance. And you want to think about, okay, I have amassed some Bitcoin wealth. I have my savings in Bitcoin. But you know, if I were to pass away, if something was to happen to me, how can I ensure that my loved ones get access to my Bitcoin? Um, and that's you know a question that I think a lot of people should be thinking about that might not be thinking about it right now. Uh, for example, like myself, you know, it's not, I don't think a lot of my peers have been thinking about estate planning, but I certainly have because we've been working on an inheritance protocol product here at Unchained and it has me thinking about, okay, 
you know, I, I save in Bitcoin. I consider Bitcoin as, as my nest egg. That's how I save my, my money. How do I ensure that that goes where I want it to if something were to happen to me? Um, and historically, really, the answers have been, um, you know, it's, it's either like historically it's been, well, you're going to devise a really crazy treasure map and you're going to basically leave a secret note for somebody to go on this crazy quest to recover your Bitcoin. Um, or, you know, you're just going to pass away and, and somebody is not going to be able to recover your Bitcoin because, uh, you know, it, they, you just never did it appropriately. You never shared how somebody can access that Bitcoin. And so what we want to do is take a good hard look at that because it's a question from a lot of our clients. Um, it's like, okay, this is great. I'm working with Unchained. You guys have taught me a lot. This is awesome. How do I ensure that a loved one can have access to my Bitcoin if something were to happen to me? So that's where that multi-sig model really, really shines. Um, if you're using one hardware wallet to you know, secure your like access to your Bitcoin, right? If you get a set of seed phrase words that you write down and you keep it secure and you have your hardware wallet device and that's you know cold storage that's holding your own keys. But if you're just using one, then basically, you know, what you're going to want to do is make sure that your beneficiary or your uh, executor of your estate has access to that seed phrase uh, after you're gone. And you know, handling that really the entire time, you're presented with a single point of failure. Uh, if that set of 24 words, if your private key, your, your set of 24 words gets lost or stolen or water damage, or if your executor just doesn't understand the importance of it and loses it, it's a really, really scary spot to be in. And while you're alive, you know, if you give your seed phrase while you're alive to, to your executor, well, they have the entire, they have your Bitcoin keys. They, they don't have to wait for you to pass away. They could just move your Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's a really tricky thing to think about. And then you introduce multi-sig where not just one key can be used to move the Bitcoin, but you always need a set of two out of three. That kind of opens the door a little bit. And so what we have at Unchained is an inheritance protocol that was recently, uh, recently launched uh, at the end of 2022. And I think it's something that, again, just really makes it a whole lot easier for somebody who has amassed a, a amount of wealth in Bitcoin to be able to pass it down appropriately. Um, Bitcoin inheritance, you know, as I've learned from our head of legal, Jeff Vandrew, uh, it really comes down to there's like two sides to the inheritance coin, like no pun intended. Uh, one side to the coin is the appropriate legal structure needs to be in place, right? Um, so what we've designed for our inheritance protocol is not the same thing as talking to an attorney and setting up an estate plan. Um, that's kind of the legal title side of inheritance. You want to make sure that you have a trust established or uh, a will with beneficiaries noted. You want to have that, that established legal structure in place for your Bitcoin. But the other side of the coin outside of the legal title is actually who has the keys. Because, you know, Chris, I could legally title you to all of Satoshi's 1 million Bitcoin. That's not anything if you can't move it, if you don't have access to the Bitcoin. So you want to have both legal title and actual possession of the key. And so what our inheritance protocol is designed to do um, is to ensure that that key succession happens. And it's, a, it's really a fantastic solution. Uh, it involves copying one of those sets of seed phrase words. Again, our clients have two keys. You just need one of those two keys, copy a set of those seed phrase words, have a nice you know, letter to your executor and put the, the seed phrase words in that letter into a tamper-proof bag, 
give it to one of your executors. I, for example, would give it to my brother, say, hey, you know, this information is important for accessing my Bitcoin savings in the event of my demise. Please keep it safe. Now, that individual then, one, if they lose that, that was our risk before with just having one device and one, one key. If they lose it, no big deal. It's multi-sig. What we can do is work with our clients to get a new key into the rotation, and it's not going to be the be-all, end-all of the Bitcoin. Um, so if they lose it, that's okay. Uh, if they open, if, if I don't trust that person, if my brother opens up that tamper-proof bag and looks at my seed phrase, he still can't move my Bitcoin because my Bitcoin's in multi-sig. My Bitcoin is secured by multiple keys and not just one. So really what the power there is, you know, it just eliminates single points of failure from your inheritance setup. And now my brother knows that, hey, let's say something tragic happens to me. He has one key. He can come to Unchained who has the second key. And we can work with that individual to regain access to the Bitcoin. So again, I know it's it's a lot of information um, and I've been talking for a while. I know I have a tendency to like to hear myself talk, but it's incredibly, incredibly important to keep hammering home a couple things. No single points of failure. Uh, being that first thing, and diving in and getting your hands dirty and familiar with this stuff, I do think really helps in the overall education. Yeah, on that on that topic, I know uh, one of the while you were talking about that, one of the things I was thinking about is uh, one of the challenges my wife have had with trying to figure out who we trust enough to give mm -hmm. our extra set of keys to is, isn't necessarily whether we trust them to be moral people or to have the best interests of our children in mind when executing um, our trust and will, should that time happen, hopefully it never does happen, but do they understand Bitcoin well enough to really understand the importance of the wealth um, that we're providing to them? And on the surface, it just seems like, well, my, you know, my brother would be great or my sister would be great or whatever. But if right. they don't really understand Bitcoin and what it can, what it really is and what it can mean to um, our children's um, financial future, uh, it can, it can still be one of those things where um, there's, there's a concept in sales, like people don't value free. Mm -hmm. So to them, Bitcoin has no value, right? Because they don't really understand the protocol. They're not really doing the research on it. They don't understand money on a certain, they understand money on a surface level, but not really on an under, on, on a, on a, with any depth. Right. So how do you, who do you give it to? Because it's not just like, okay, here's my trust. You know, can you sell my house? Can you take my bank accounts? Can you, cause, cause they know all of that stuff. So Bitcoin is a little bit of a different uh, beast to kind of understand in that respect. So it's great to have another company like Unchained Capital who can also be used as uh, an educational platform um, for a beneficiary or for a, an executor to talk to and get the education that they need to in order to really understand what this what this thing is. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, choosing your executor who you're going is going to be the recipient of that that private key material that is solely up to you. And you know, we can't give legal opinion there. That that would be definitely within you know your however you feel comfortable and confident in passing on that key material. But kind of the beautiful thing is compared to a situation where you're holding your Bitcoin keys and you're just using one key to secure your Bitcoin. And you give that to a careless individual who maybe not even is intentionally careless, but just doesn't value Bitcoin, right? They're like, ah, whatever, um, you know, and they end up just losing that seed phrase. That's scary. 
Um, multi-sig does afford for, you know, a little bit more education time to come into, into play for that individual, right? Say you give them that private key material and that inheritance protocol, and then that person just doesn't really think about Bitcoin the same way you and I might. Well, one, if they lose that private key material, that's okay. This is multi-sig. Uh, we can, you know, work with our clients to help them better themselves in that situation. But also, it does then give that individual time to say, okay, put your guard down. You, it's okay if you lose it. We ideally, you, you wouldn't want to lose it. But if you do, it's not the end of the world. And really then, as, as me, as somebody who's trusting my beneficiary, I would want to, you know, as best I can, instill some Bitcoin education, share some educational resources, really lean into the education, not from the perspective of my own inheritance, but also for the betterment of whoever I'm talking to. Right. I want my brother to learn about Bitcoin and think about it the same way I do. And so there's a little bit of skin in the game when you trust somebody enough to give them, you know, an important part of your Bitcoin savings from an inheritance perspective. They kind of have skin in the game to, to go learn about this stuff more, or at least I would hope so. Um, but the, yeah, I would just be thinking about always furthering the education and the, and the mission behind um, helping folks understand and I guess go down the rabbit hole, so to speak, because um, mm -hmm. it really does suck people in. And uh, if that, you know, if your executor goes from uh, not really caring about Bitcoin to being all in, researching it and, and you know, taking the dive, that's a pretty cool win um, just for like the generational line, I would think. So let me let me put together kind of a maybe a real world scenario and mm -hmm. uh, just get your thoughts on it. So the signing device, there's lots of different signing devices out there. You have a ledger, you have a treasure, you have a cold card, you have, you know, whatever XYZ company in the years to come, there'll probably be several, several more options. Mm -hmm. But the, um, the passwords and the keys that we're talking about is really a series of either 12 or 24 individual words, correct? Mm -hmm. Correct. So if, if, if I were to say, take those words and I were to inscribe them on a piece of metal or something like that, something that's a little bit more longer lasting than a piece of paper, um, which many people have lost their Bitcoin on in a flood or in a fire or something like that. And I were to split those uh, rather if I had one signing device, but if I were to split up the keys per se, these 24 seed phrases and give those to other people, would I have the same sort of security? Um, as long as those other people were able to put those keys together. And then if my signing device was destroyed, could they still get access to the Bitcoin with those 24 words? Yeah. So a couple things here. There's um, let's, let's say that I take a set of 24 words. That's, that's my represents my private key to my Bitcoin. Uh, it's 24 words for, for your listeners. Uh, these aren't just random, completely random words, and you don't get to choose the words. Uh, there's a, a basically a word bank, a master word bank in Bitcoin of 2,048 words. And these little hardware wallet devices, uh, as Chris was mentioning, ledgers and trezors and cold cards, they generate at random a set of 12 or 24 words for you to write down, and that is your Bitcoin key. Now, to Chris, your question, you have your 24 words and you have them written down. Let's say I'm going to split those off into different sets of six or something like that. And I have six words a piece and I give those six words to four individuals uh, and, you know, splitting, I'm splitting up my seed and then, you know, that's hardware wallet breaks or whatever. Would those individuals be able to come together 
and restore that Bitcoin seed into a hardware wallet device and have access to your Bitcoin. From a technical perspective, those individuals would be able to do that. Now, there'd be a lot of things to remember there. Uh, the seed phrase words, if you're given 24 words, they do need to be in order when they're reconstructed, right, into a, into a hardware wallet. So you need to find, okay, who's the person that has words one through six? Okay, great. Who's the person that has words seven through 12? And so on and so forth. And, and what you'd be able to do is find a hardware wallet device, one of these signing devices. You'd be able to load those 24 words up in order into that device and gain access to the Bitcoin. Now, while that's technically feasible, what that type of solution to inheritance planning uh, is riddled with is single points of failure. You are now, instead of just having one single point of failure with one set of 24 words, you actually now have four single points of failure. If any one of those four individuals, you know, mishandles or loses their six words that they've been assigned, uh, that is a single point of failure and you would fail to reconstruct that key. So when you're in a solution like multisig, you're not splitting your seed phrase words, you are actually creating three separate keys. And there's one key with us held it unchained, but let's say you were just doing your own multi-sig. You would have three separate keys. And if you lose one entire key, one entire list of 24 words, that's okay. That's not gonna be the end of the world because you have two other keys there. So you know, there's, there's different ways to think about Bitcoin security and it's incredibly fun to think about. Um, but at the end of the day, like again, harp, harping back on that single point of failure aspect, that's where I would kind of avoid the seed splitting mechanism as a way to access the Bitcoin. Okay. And just to kind of reiterate, the idea behind the um, the hardware wallet is mm -hmm. that device is basically holding, it's connected to those 24 words, uh, password protected is, is really all that it is. And then that mm -hmm. becomes the key to unlock the vault that has your Bitcoin stored in the digital realm that can be used anywhere in the world. Yeah, exactly. You're, you know, you have a collection of addresses, Bitcoin addresses that you control. And, you know, if you want to move Bitcoin from those addresses, that's where you'd really leverage those devices. You would say, okay, this device, you know, when we're talking about those seed phrase words, like the 24 or 12 words, those words are really only ever to be used if you want to, if you need to like restore a device, let's say you're using a Trezor device, this little black looking device, it generates you 24 words, you write down those words or you stamp them into steel yourself or something like Chris was mentioning. Um, then you just put lock those words away, you hide those words away and you use your device to move your Bitcoin uh, on the Bitcoin blockchain. But these Trezor devices, as we all know with hardware, hardware is not perfect, right? And these little Trezor devices, could go to the bottom of the ocean or get smashed with a hammer. Something could happen to that actual device, and that's okay. All you'd need to do is get a new Bitcoin hardware wallet, a new signing device. It doesn't even have to be the same brand. It could be a ledger, it could be a cold card, and you could take those 24 words and reload them into a new device, and you'd still you'd regain access to your key. That's why those seed phrase words, uh, oftentimes what's appended onto that seed phrase designation is seed phrase backup because what they really are, they're just a backup to your key. So could you have um, could you have a treasure, a, a, a ledger and a cold card all connected to one account or do they have to all be the same type of device? For Unchained Vaults specifically or multi-sig in general? Multi-sig in general. Yeah, multi-sig in general, It's as long as it's a Bitcoin 
uh, is, is you're generating a valid Bitcoin seed phrase, it doesn't matter where it came from. So if you wanted to, you know, have your own multi-sig setup, uh, you wanted three total keys with two keys at any time being able to move the Bitcoin, you could build a multi-sig setup with a Trezor, a Ledger, and a cold card and have three separate brands and manufacturers of these devices. But at the end of the day, you're generating Bitcoin keys and Bitcoin keys are device agnostic. Cool. So what's the what's the most common question you get when you're walking someone through this process? And have we covered it? So I would say the most common question, um, there, there's quite a few common questions about, you know, is my Bitcoin in my Trezor? And we've definitely covered that. It's like the Bitcoin is never in the device. Uh, these devices are just your keys to your Bitcoin addresses. Um, I Another common question I get asked is, you know, we do help people build their multi-sig vaults and Oftentimes, these individuals have Bitcoin on exchanges like a Coinbase or a Kraken or a Binance or a Swan Bitcoin or something like that. Um, and a lot of a lot of folks, especially if they're brand new to holding their own Bitcoin keys, they say, well, OK, how is my vault and me using these devices and these seed phrases? How is that more secure than you know, me, I want to let Coinbase secure my Bitcoin because I don't trust myself. You know, it's like I would mess something up. I think my funds are safer elsewhere. So how is holding my own keys safer? That's a really common question. Um, and again, it's like, you know, not to, to beat a dead horse, but it's thinking about that single point of failure aspect. And that's what I always go back to. And it kind of reared its head earlier this summer when uh, the Coinbase 10Q documents came out and it's, it was stipulated right there that, you know, you are essentially an unsecured creditor of these exchanges, right? When you buy Bitcoin at a Bitcoin or cryptocurrency exchange, you know, that is an IOU. You don't own the Bitcoin. You don't own the Bitcoin unless you, you can control it with your own keys. In those instances, your exchange, whoever your counterparty is, they control the Bitcoin. So while you might, you know, on the at the onset, if you're brand new to all this, you think, okay, my Bitcoin's safer with them. Well, all it takes is an exchange to get hacked, um, a you know rogue employee at the exchange, uh, you know, a bad actor in, inside the exchange. Um, it could take, uh, you know, as we've seen uh, quite quite clearly over the course of the past couple of months, malpractice within the exchange and lending out customer funds somewhere else, right? You don't have clarity into all that when you don't hold the keys to your own Bitcoin. So the counterparty risk, the engaging with a counterparty and letting them secure your Bitcoin wealth is a massive single point of failure. And when you make the move to holding your own keys, you can do so in ways that helps you know that you know, you're going to eliminate your single points of failure. And that's really where multi-sig shines again. So common question is, you know, because a lot of times folks... For better or worse, they just don't know about what what they're presented with as single points of failure when they keep their Bitcoin on these exchanges. They might think that they're FDIC insured. They might think that, um, well, you know, they're not moving my my Bitcoin. I can see my number in my account. I log into Coinbase and I see I have ten Bitcoin there. So clearly, it's not moving. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, you shouldn't be trusting these exchanges. Their incentive is to get you to give them your money. Um, now, we all need to access Bitcoin somewhere. Some people mine for it. Some people go to exchanges. Using exchanges inherently is not bad. But I would say trusting these exchanges to secure your wealth, 
that is a bad practice when you're when you're working with Bitcoin and you should be holding Bitcoin with your own keys. Yeah, that's definitely something we've seen with this whole FTX thing where it turned out the however many thousands of Bitcoin that they said that they had in customer accounts, they didn't actually have. So that money was already rehypothecated. And yeah. if a customer were to say before they went bankrupt, the customer would say, okay, I want to take my Bitcoin out. What they what the exchange would do behind the scenes is they would literally buy the Bitcoin then, take the profit or the loss, whatever it was, and then yeah. send it to you in representation that they had it all along, which it turns out that they didn't have. You know, another big question that I get a lot from people who are a little bit later in life and haven't done a lot of research on Bitcoin is they say, well, hasn't Bitcoin been hacked? And mm. I'm constantly telling them, no, the Bitcoin protocol has never been hacked. The single points of failure of companies that have built on top of Bitcoin, those are what gets hacked. Those are the exchanges. Those are the the, the right. what other stuff. Or, you know, if you if you and that's a great that's an excellent point. And like it's something kind of within technology speaking in absolutes, right, has never been hacked. It's like sounds too good to be true. Right. But you and, and then there's newspaper headlines or, you know, certain mainstream media headlines will say Bitcoin hack. Uh, results in two $2 million loss or something like that. If you read beyond the headline, it's exactly right, Chris, to your point. What you read is either an exchange was hacked uh, because they didn't secure their keys properly, or an individual was hacked because instead of writing down my 24 words onto paper and then putting them into metal, I just decided to, to put them in the notes app on my phone. And somebody got those words off of my notes app and stole my Bitcoin, right? Like there's there's hacks that happen of honeypots at exchanges where there's a bunch of Bitcoin in one spot. And there's hacks that happen to steal people's private keys. But there's not the Bitcoin network, the Bitcoin protocol uh, has never been hacked. And in fact, the Bitcoin protocol, it just works, right? I mean, price tr price movement, volatility, Bitcoin going up and down in price, you know, that is one thing. And we're humans and our psychology works in the, the way that We've assigned a dollar price to Bitcoin. And we watch the dollar price and we gauge that as Bitcoin's success, which certainly is a component of Bitcoin's success. But as a Bitcoiner, as somebody who lives and breathes and works every day in this world, my version of Bitcoin success is, is the Bitcoin blockchain still functioning? Are we still getting blocks being processed every 10 minutes on average? If I send a transaction of Bitcoin to Chris, is that going to reach his wallet and is it going to get confirmed? And the answer is yes. Um, so, you know, with Bitcoin as a network is strong. Nodes are coming online. Uh, we're seeing blocks still being produced. You know, mining has now kind of decentralized around the world, more so than just being really compact into China over the course of the past 24 months. Uh, it's really spectacular. And so it does take a lot for folks to kind of look past the dollar price, um, which of course matters, right? We want Bitcoin to be valuable, but it's, it's an asset undergoing price discovery in real time. Um, and you can't just print more of it. So naturally, the, the value in dollar terms is going to fluctuate. Um, but in overall success of the network, it's it's been incredibly successful and has been now for 14 years. And like you say, you know, I think a lot of the headlines might lead you to believe that there is a hack in Bitcoin. But what's actually being hacked is really poor security of, of Bitcoin funds. Yeah, you know, most recently in the news, there was that gentleman who's Bitcoin core developer. Mm -hmm. Hold on one second. I'm having. Can you hear me now? Yes. Yeah. I'll Sorry about that. No, I'll get uh, What I was saying was uh, most recently there was a, a news article about a Bitcoin core developer who lost 100 or 200 Bitcoin. 
And kind of to your point, and, and so the media would have you believe that, well, if a Bitcoin core developer can lose Bitcoin, what kind of security does that mean for anybody else who isn't uh, as technically advanced in understanding of Bitcoin? But the reality is, is we're all human and we all right. make risk decisions every single day. Um, and so this particular individual, he didn't have his Bitcoin in cold storage in one of these uh, hardware wallets like we're talking about. He had his coins in what was called a hot wallet, which mm -hmm. is a uh, a wallet that is online, that does have uh, an attack vector because it is online. And his coins were, I guess, stolen that way. And it reminds me of another story about two years ago with a pipeline. This was a Columbia pipeline or colonial pipeline. Mm -hmm. And the hacker hacked the pipeline, stopped, stopped the flow of oil and said, give me $5 million in Bitcoin and I'll release the, the, the software back to you so that you can run your pipeline. Right. And after about a week and a half, the company decided, okay, fine, we're going to pay them. And I think it was like, they, they got it down to like $4.8 million in Bitcoin or something like that. And half of that Bitcoin, the $2.4 million of it, the, the hacker put on a hot wallet. Well, what the FBI was able to do, because the Bitcoin blockchain is not completely anonymous, it's pseudo anonymous. So you can see how Bitcoin moves around the network. So they could see the address that the Bitcoin originated in and the Bitcoin and then the address that the Bitcoin went to, which was the access that the hacker had. Um, and then so the FBI could take a look at, at that and see how that wallet was stored. And they realized it was on a hot wallet. And then they subpoenaed the hotware, the hot wallet company to freeze those assets and gain custody to those assets. And they were able to get the Bitcoin back to the company that it was stolen from. And so, you know, even, even, even a guy who's smart enough to know how to hack a pipeline and to leverage that mm. to, to get months, uh, to get money, even he didn't store it correctly. So yeah. It, no, it's truly a, I mean, you can be, um, you know, you can still be well on your Bitcoin journey to learning about the, you know, what makes Bitcoin the best money in the world. You can read more about mining. You can be very on in that, in early on in that journey. And if you're securing your Bitcoin properly, then, then you're good to go. Right. And, and you point out some perfect examples. You can, you know, shoot yourself in the foot by overcomplicating things or being unintentionally negligent, no matter how smart you are. So really focusing in on like, okay, I'm going to secure my Bitcoin first. And then maybe I'll do a deep dive into the lightning network or Bitcoin mining or some really cool aspects of Bitcoin. But you don't need to be a pro programmer engineer to secure your Bitcoin with ironclad security. You just need to make sure to not use hot wallets for significant amounts of funds uh, to secure your your Bitcoin. And with that Bitcoin core developer, there's actually a perfect, like somebody somebody asked him in the comments, you know, were you using multi-sig? And he just goes, no. It's like, that would have eliminated your single point of failure. So yeah, I think you raise really good points. It's like, you know, you don't have to be, you know, having the best Bitcoin security that's that's available out there does not move in tandem with you being incredibly whip smart about Bitcoin and super technical. Um, and I think that is like often a very big misconception when it comes to Bitcoin security. I often say that like setting up a Bitcoin multi-sig or even just setting up a hardware wallet and properly securing your Bitcoin 
it's kind of like if you uh, if you see the the cartoon visual of you know there's a shadow of something coming around the corner and it looks like a lion and it's super scary and it finally comes around the corner and it's just a little mouse. I think mm-hmm. that's what that's what Bitcoin self custody is a little bit, right? It seems kind of there's a lot of words and terminology at the onset, but when you actually go through it and do it, you're like, wow, this is pretty straightforward and easy, and now I feel much more confident in my setup. Yeah, on, on average, how long would you say it takes to set up your your hardware wallet? So one hardware wallet, um, if you are walking through the process and if it's your first time doing it by yourself, maybe about 30 minutes or so. Um, When we do our multi-sig calls with our clients and we oftentimes, it's really often the case, we from straight uh, opening up the packaging and taking out a Trezor uh, or a Ledger, setting it up two devices and then building a multi-sig vault with us. Those calls are about an hour long and they usually go over just a little bit so we can actually talk about how to use the vault. Um, but it's not like you need to go through a you know week-long boot camp on how to do something. Yeah, I know when I'm uh, helping my friends, I, I can only say friends, I can't say family yet, that uh, that are starting to get into Bitcoin. And I'm uh, especially in the last six months with everything that's happened in the space, they really have been focused a lot on self-custody and mm-hmm. setting up their hardware wallets. When I am helping them set up, you know, one of the things I like to talk to them about is uh, I ask them, I say, have you ever used the Bitcoin network before? Have you ever sent funds over the Bitcoin network? Yeah. Because at some point you have to get it from the exchange over to the signing device and or into your vault for the signing device. And they go, no. And I say, okay, well, here's what you want to do. You know, you want to take it step by step. You want to go slowly. You don't want to send it all at once. You want to get comfortable sending it because it's not like uh, a bank account where or a, 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 a Venmo where it's instantaneous. You know, it could take 10 minutes to an hour or it could take two seconds, just depending on how much traffic is going through the Bitcoin yeah. network and how quickly the, the blocks are being uh, established or mined. And so... You send a test transaction, whether it be a dollar or two dollars or fifty cents um, or a hundred dollars, depending on how much money you're ultimately going to be sending. And you may have to do it two or three times until you feel comfortable enough sending that before you then go ahead and send the the, the majority or all of the Bitcoin over to your your its final destination. And I know when I did it the first time, I was sweating bullets. Um, I didn't have somebody like you who could walk me through the process. I didn't know anybody. You know, this was back in early 2017 when it was kind of like the the the, the last class of uh, mm-hmm. Bitcoin maximalist uh, OGs. <laughs> I guess you could consider yourself as, or we could consider ourselves as now. Uh, but we were really doing it on our own, and we were just trying to find resources online and. There wasn't really anybody that we could talk to. Now there's so many more resources and so many more people who have a, such a good understanding. And, you know, in 2017, Unchained Capital didn't exist as, as far as I'm aware. So, yeah, so we existed as a company, but our we founded in 2016, but it was really our Bitcoin collateralized loans uh, kind of was the the first really established product of our business. And then we moved into multi-sig vaults uh, later on 2019, at the end of 2019, going into 2020. Um, so yeah, I mean, the education that's out there is phenomenal. Efforts like this, like awesome podcasts have just been uh, a really good source of information for me personally. I love to like listen to things as I'm driving or mowing the lawn or doing things like that. It really does help it constantly instill something new to learn too, which I think is really fun. Yeah, I mean, me, me as a Bitcoiner, I, I use the Bitcoin network from time to time. You know, when we went down to El Salvador, 
this uh, in, in the middle of 2022, we used a lot of Bitcoin down there and I had my my moon wallet set up and I was transferring money from the exchange over to the moon wallet and then the moon wallet. I was buying goods and services, whether it be hotel stays or groceries or restaurant purchases or buying um, stuff from vendors on the beach. You know, there's not everybody down there is using it, but there is a growing amount of people who are using it and who understand it. And, yeah. But at the beginning, it was it was very stressful because, you know, there's there's something about having the education and then there's something about using the education. And that's that's a leap of faith, basically. So after you do it a couple of times, you realize, oh, my gosh, this is even easier than using a, my debit card or my credit card or writing a check or something like that. And the money arrives faster at those places at final settlement so that I right. can then spend it. It's nothing that the money's being put on hold in my bank account for three days. I don't have somebody asking me what is this transaction all about? I don't I'm, I'm not in a foreign country. I'm trying to use my debit card. And all of a sudden, my debit card gets frozen because the, the bank is like, oh, well, he, he's never made this transaction before. His, his account probably got stolen. Then I got to call 1-800 numbers and sit on hold for 20 minutes. And, you know, and, and this whole back, back and forth, I got to sign affidavits. You know, so it's one of the, the great things about Bitcoin. Um, and kind of changed subjects a little bit here. We got a little bit of time left. I know you have a hard stop here in about 25 minutes, but I'm interested to hear from you. Once you went down the Bitcoin rabbit hole, what are some of the other rabbit hole ideas that you began learning about that up until you discovered Bitcoin, you never thought you cared about? Oh, that's a, a an excellent, excellent question. I've actually thought about this a lot. Um, I remember I talked about something similar with John Vallis uh, when I was talking to him a couple of years ago now at this point. Um, one of the things like rabbit, and this, these could be rabbit holes outside of Bitcoin, correct? Outside of Bitcoin. Yeah. Not yeah. a Bitcoin rabbit hole. So, so this is actually, well, <laughs> not eating seed oils is a very big, uh, <laughs> it's a popular food. one. Yeah. That, that's a popular one. Um, there's actually this food truck in Austin called Ziki and uh, shout out to Ziki in Austin. They advertise like on the side of their food truck, no seed oils. And then you go to their website and it says you are being poisoned. And it's just like, it's almost like, I mean, I, I think they do accept Bitcoin too. I think they're on the Oshi app, but it's like a Bitcoiner is running the business and we just got it for lunch here today. So that's pretty cool. Um, I would say on that and the spirit of no seed oils though, I'm really with that, you know, it's, it's, it's talked about a lot on Twitter and, you know, stuff like that. But what it boils down to is um, I think value finding value from your food sources and not just eating processed food right when you save in bitcoin you understand value we think in long term low time preference right i want to be here when i'm 85 90 95 plus years old right and it starts with treating my body right now i want to have a low time preference for myself and my physical health and so part of that comes with kind of going against the grain uh traditional health uh you know the food pyramid right they tell us that you know XYZ foods are good for you. Well, they also tell us that you know the inflation's not uh, super high, right? So, like being a little bit more, um, I would say, not so quick to accept what is what is told to you from whether it's popular media outlets or the studies have concluded. And the X is you know X is Y. It's like well. Have we, you know, the whole point of science and thinking about things is to constantly disprove things with new information. So um, I've kind of taken, because I had to go through that relearning period with economics as I got into Bitcoin, I'm kind of relearning health a little bit. I'm relearning wellness. And I'm thinking about, you know, how can I put the right food into my body to help me live longer? Or what should I be avoiding? 
Um, so that's one core area would be, I think, health um, in terms of food consumption. Um, and then the other thing, it's not a rabbit hole necessarily, uh, but it's something that I just find fascinating about Bitcoiners is and maybe it's working with a lot of Bitcoiners um, or going to Bitcoin events a lot, whether it's in Minneapolis or down here in Austin. Um, families, strong families, a uh, lot of young children. It's like, you know, a lot of my peers that I work with here at Unchained are like having children at a crazy rate. And it's fun for me. I don't have any kids yet, but just the um, the inspiration that's there and the excitement around wanting to bring uh, children into the world onto into hopefully a world that is on a Bitcoin standard. Um, I think when you get really sucked into a lot of mainstream narratives and a lot of the way people talk about um, what the future is going to look like. And it's very dystopic. It's very, um, there's not a very positive bent on how people think about the future. And so some folks are, you know, even, and hey, everybody makes their own personal decisions, but there's a lot of, you know, uh, I don't want to, you know, bring a child into the world because they're going to grow up and it's going to be this terrible, uh, disastrous, capitalistic world. And it's like, oh, you know, I'm around people every day who are really inspired by families and by like what they could, what the next generation could live in what the world could be like and i just really love that optimism so uh i guess the rabbit hole there would be uh thinking about you know and, and i'm not there yet with children but i would like to be one day and like thinking about how i can provide and produce value for my local community or for the world maybe doing things here at unchained like i really have kind of thought about that more than ever before um which is kind of a crazy thing to say out loud now that i think about it but yeah it's pretty cool yeah, no, that's that's great. You know, one of the other rabbit holes that I found myself going down to, and I guess it's kind of Bitcoin related, is this whole topic of energy consumption. Mm. You know, right now there's a big ESG movement in the United States and around that's the world uh, through the World Economic Forum. And um, governments are really pressing their states, at least here in the United States and in Europe, to reduce the amount of uh, CO2 emissions and global house or uh, global yeah, uh, greenhouse effects on the environment. And they've pinpointed Bitcoin as being one of the contributing factors to, mm. uh, you know, the destruction of the environment, you know, along with cows. So now not only are they trying to get rid of our meat, they're also trying to get rid of our ability to secure uh, individual wealth. And I know you listen a lot to and read a lot of the stuff from Alex Gladstein, uh, and I'd be interested to hear your perspective and if it comes up in conversations with customers mm -hmm. on the environmental impacts of uh, Bitcoin and is it, uh, is, it, is it a net negative to future generations? Yeah, that's, um, th that's also a very good rabbit hole, right? Energy consumption. And I mean, I'm living down in Texas where, you know, I think the Houston Bitcoin meetup is very energy focused, right? A lot of natural gas. Uh, folks who are maybe traditionally gas men and women who've been working in that their whole life are kind of now seeing the power of Bitcoin, uh, returning a basically a stranded asset into value and and using flared gas to to mine Bitcoin and this sorts of things. So There's kind of like an interesting energy and Bitcoin marriage going on in many areas. Um, and with that comes like, okay, I need to learn a little bit more about energy. And I know that uh, Parker Lewis is also, you know, has been doing the same thing over the course of the past year, really is becoming kind of an energy guy too, as he's taken a deeper dive into this stuff. And he's on the and, board of directors at Unchained now, correct? Yes. Uh, yeah. So Parker, 
uh, and recently I will kind of pump this up too. recently came out with a new gradually then suddenly um, uh, piece for his gradually then suddenly series. So a new essay from Parker Lewis, which I definitely suggest your listeners go check out and actually thinking about your broader listener base, uh, Chris, if they haven't, uh, you know, Parker Lewis, um, who's now on our board of directors, was formerly our, our head of business development here at Unchained. He writes on Bitcoin uh, in a way that, you know, I've shared it with friends and family. It, it's really in, in a way that nobody else writes about Bitcoin. Um, he approaches Bitcoin from first principles. He used to work in legacy finance. Um, and I would encourage all listeners to go check out Parker Lewis's uh, essay series. He talks about in separate articles, um, you know, all of the common counter narratives to Bitcoin, uh, he kind of takes on the head one by one and just discusses uh, these topics really in depth and in, in very, very well. They're rather long articles. So if it's the weekend and you have some time, would, would definitely suggest going to check those out. Um, but with energy in general, it's it's not really something that clients bring up on calls. And maybe they're self-selecting for that, right? If you have Bitcoin and you're wanting to secure it, uh, you don't care as much about the fact that you know Bitcoin does consume energy, which I don't think should be viewed as a bad thing. Um, but we don't have a lot of clients actively talking to us about that. Uh, but it is an interesting area and something that I've been trying to you know learn more about. And one of the things right off the bat, this was maybe back in 2020, was you know consuming energy is not bad. Maybe the inputs can be tinkered with, and that's something maybe we should think about more. You don't necessarily want to run an entire Bitcoin mining facility off of coal power, uh, just being realistic about it, having some sort of renewable or somewhat cleaner input would be nice. Um, so I think a lot of people are very quick to assume that just because Bitcoin, there's a Bitcoin mining facility, that it's like, for some reason, dirty um, or being powered by, you know, a less than desirable source of energy. But at the same time, you know, thinking about how important fossil fuels and how important energy production has been to the advancement of society, like you look at it and you start to think, okay, consuming and using energy isn't bad. And then also, what what are you juxtaposing it with? What are we trying to replace? Um, you know, central banking uh, also consumes a lot of energy, right? And and that there's a there's a massive amount of when you if you want to call it a carbon footprint sure uh there's there's a increasingly large carbon footprint that exists right now with the legacy financial system and modern banking and so it's like you know i i think that fingers are maybe being pointed at bitcoin um from people who don't understand what it's it's setting out to replace right i mean if we had that same level of scrutiny applied to other things, not just legacy finance, but the common example is like, you know, washing machines. If there's the same level of scrutiny applied to the energy consumption of washing machines, uh, then, you know, why aren't there, you know, 10,000 word hate articles about washing machines? Maybe there are, but it just is kind of like, you know, thinking about things as if I'm Parker Lewis, really, really digging into the first principles. Um, I personally think that you know, incentives are going to align. And if that's in kind of this energy marriage, that's going to happen over the course of the next decade. And I do think that Bitcoin's energy consumption overall um, is going to be a non-issue, especially when, you know, you have folks like Gladstein who are looking at Bitcoin being used worldwide and the economic empowerment and property rights that it's instilling to individuals around the globe. Like when that's happening um, and, and the most that somebody can point to is saying, okay, well, you know, but it's using a lot of energy. It's like, 
you know, so what <laughs> at that point? Yeah, kind of my, my yeah, yeah, that. no, definitely. I think um, what people realize once they get into Bitcoin, and I know some of the people listening here, I hope aren't Bitcoiners yet, but are interested in Bitcoin and looking for more information on how to how to get it, how to store it, how to send it, how to use it. Um, that's what this podcast is really all about. Um, as most people know, this the the general form of this of this podcast is to help people who are later in life kind of understand Bitcoin from people who are their own ages. But I wanted to have Tyler on the call here today because he's such an expert in uh, self-custody of Bitcoin, which is a paramount part of getting involved in Bitcoin. You know, there's a, there's a saying in Bitcoin, uh, don't trust, verify, which is the exact opposite of kind of what, uh, you know, Reagan had said, you know, trust, but verify. In Bitcoin, we believe don't trust, verify, which in a lot of cases turns us into the uh, conspiracy theorists of the family because we're always asking the question why on anything. And as you get into Bitcoin and you start realizing all the fears that you had about it were really just put in your own mind. And then you start looking at some of the other lessons that the traditional education and financial systems have taught us. We start realizing that, oh, my gosh, there's an awful lot of gaslighting going out there. And it doesn't take too much time to navigate through all that and remove the veil and kind of see what the incentives are behind the um, media news that we're getting. And um, so you'll start learning more about health. You'll start learning more about fitness. You'll start learning more about how our food is created. You'll start learning more about greenhouse uh, emissions and uh, the World Economic Forum and central banking and, and, and all sorts of different types of stuff. So really getting in, into Bitcoin is like opening up a book that really is a breath of fresh air that inspires uh, prosperity and happiness moving forward. Um, where all the traditional media is going to give you right now is doom and gloom and how everything is is going to hell in a handbasket. So yeah, I was really excited sure. to have Tyler on the show today. I hope all of you out there got a lot of good information uh, from Tyler on how to set up your own hardware wallets and uh, how to understand some of the lingo involved in that space a little bit better. Uh, Tyler, if you could just give us a quick little handoff on how people can get in touch with you if they have more questions and how they can reach out to Unchained Capital and get started. Yeah, no, thank you, Chris, for having me on. I, you know, with whether it's Bitcoin podcast or you're talking about Bitcoin, you know, it's not lost on on me or, or Chris that there's a lot of terminology in play. There's a lot of newness, right? And I would just encourage anybody listening to really take to heart that just because it's new and unfamiliar does not necessarily mean that it's hard or scary. Um, if you're setting up a hardware wallet for the first time. Just going through the setup process and following, you know, a YouTube video, just by setting it up, that doesn't mean your life savings is automatically transferred to 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 a Bitcoin key. You can set it up and play with it and get comfortable. Um, and you know, and a second point that I would really like to just mention before I give a formal sign off for those of you listening, um, is you know, Bitcoin should really, really, really be kept separate from crypto. Um, Bitcoin is not quote unquote, crypto as the way, you know, a lot of headlines might make it out to be, you know, Bitcoin is digital scarcity discovered once 14 years ago, uh, maybe not discovered, but we could say created. Um, and it's really, really special. And it's being adopted at a breakneck pace. People are taking it seriously. I help individuals secure their wealth in Bitcoin. Crypto is a casino of a bunch of people that just want to end up taking your Bitcoin. Um, so, just want to make that point again, you know, it's like, we would be remiss if I didn't. Um, like my colleague, Phil Geiger says, you know, printing money does not produce value. So coming up with a new token 
does not produce value, right? So Bitcoin's 21 million hard cap supply, that's value. Um, so as you think about crypto, just make sure you're divorcing the ideas of Bitcoin and, and crypto. Um, but yeah, I mean, my, I, you know, my passion is talking about Bitcoin and educating. Um, if you're on Twitter, I am uh, at clockwork underscore prior on Twitter. Um, that's where I post some interesting things about Bitcoin education content. Um, starting to get back into that a little bit more this year um, than I did last year. So definitely give me a follow there. Um, and then our Unchained uh, Capital blog, I think is fantastic. Um, not just for our clients. We write about Bitcoin topics, uh, the importance of seed phrases. We're really trying to be a great educational resource. So that is blog.unchained.com. And then if you want to get in touch with me about concierge and my team, and you want to talk deeper about setting up these things and securing your wealth, uh, that would be unchained.com slash concierge. We'll be able to help you out. Great, great. And I'm so happy that you finished it off with uh, crypto is not Bitcoin. And remember, folks, we started this conversation with his background and he worked for a blockchain company. Yes. So it's also it's Bitcoin. It's not blockchain. Yes, that's couldn't have said it better myself. Chef's kiss. <laughs> Thank you so much for being on the show, Tyler. I hope to do this again at a later date. Have, have a great day. Absolutely. Thank you, Chris. Appreciate it. All right. Now let's see if I could get my computer to